0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome, listeners, to a re-release today of my interview with Suwani Linen. I first released this long over a year ago in January of 2020. And simply put, this is one of the most powerful stories I have ever heard, and I'm so excited for you to hear it today. Suwani Lenin spent her childhood in a leprosy camp in Thailand. Within the gates of that camp, Suwani endured extreme poverty and the fear of bullies who were there to simply to victimize this vulnerable community. Meanwhile, outside the camp, Suwani experienced rejection and mockery from unkind or sometimes simply fearful people. And although Suwani never had leprosy herself, she also never distanced herself from her family. She stood proudly by the side of her blind and maimed uncle as others jeered at them in the public square. Despite Sewanee's loyalty, she did eventually leave the leprosy camp, and this came about through the love of a mother. And actually, in fact, Sewanee had not one, not even two, but three mothers in her life. And all of them loved her enough to make the greatest sacrifice of all, to say goodbye to Sewanee and to give her a life that they simply couldn't have themselves. I promise you will finish this episode with awe in your hearts, all for the resilience, strength, and love of the four women in this story, Suwani and her three mothers. Also, just a heads up, since it's been about 16 months since I released this episode, it is definitely time to catch up with Suwani, and she and I will be going live together on Instagram next Tuesday, June 1st, so make sure to tune in and listen to us then.
1: Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited to share my stories
0: with you. So let's get started. Okay. <laughs> okay, so your story definitely has more twists and turns than my story. Um, your, your story reads like a novel, to be oh totally honest, Iwani. <laughs> I
1: know, I know.
0: <laughs> it reads like a novel. So... I really kind of struggled with how to start this conversation, and I feel like maybe the best way is to just start with the present. So does that sound good to start there? Yes, that sounds perfect. Okay, so you told me that your kids are, I loved this, you called them Viking babies with Thai spice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, I can't believe you're bringing this up. I loved it. Viking babies with
0: Thai spice. So tell me a little bit about your family. How did you make Viking babies with Thai spice? Oh,
1: my goodness. Okay, so my husband, he is from Minnesota, and he is a mix of everything that's European. And um, Vikings blood is in there somewhere, and I'm half Thai, So I like to call it the Thai spice or the sass. And a little bit of me in there, a little bit of his Viking blood in there makes these babies pretty strong willed and very uh, determined
0: little humans. Right. A little bit of that Thai spice goes a long way in genetics. (laughs) Yes. So tell me about your husband. How did you meet him? And what's he like? What does he do?
1: Okay. My husband, Mark, he is in the Air Force, uh, currently active duty. Um, Mm -hmm. He's been in 18 years. So in two Mm -hmm. years, we'll be out of the active duty military life. I met him when I was in college. My friend invited me out to his graduation at the Air Force Academy, and I just wanted to get out of town at that time. So I went out to Colorado. I met him And we just both knew that there was something there. And a few months later, he asked me out to go hunting at his grandparents' farm. Are you serious? Yes. I never heard that part. (laughs) I know. It's so crazy. And I did not want to hunt anything. I just wanted to be with this boy that i (laughs) madly (laughs) crazy in love with. And so we did. And we just knew there was something there. So we pursued it and um, then he went to Germany for one year and I was finishing up my college um, and then he went to pilot training for a year and during that time I also decided to go back to Thailand to study abroad because I was beginning to forget my Thai roots and my connection and the language and the people. So Mm. I made a decision to go study abroad For one semester, and then I graduated, but I knew I wanted to stay longer. My mom's uh, friend, Dr. K, who was a leprosy doctor in Thailand, is like another mom to me. And I I decided to volunteer and help her out with her work and travel with her uh, Mm -hmm. during that second semester. Mm -hmm. And then my husband and I kept a long distance relationship for about three and a half years, but we just knew this is something we wanted to do. And so we, we made it. (laughs) Mm.
0: Yes. You sure did. You made it 18 years and two kids later. Yes, that's right. That's right. So Mm. here we are. Yeah. So, okay. You brought up Thailand. So maybe this is as good a time as any to go back to the beginning.
1: All right, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) um,
0: Thailand is where you were born. Yes, I was born and raised there for 13 years. Mm -hmm. You told me, I think the first time that we met, that you have three mothers. Correct. Okay, so why don't we go chronologically and talk through your three mothers, although there was obvious overlap, but kind of as you went from the care of one mother to the second to the third
1: okay that sounds good mm-hmm. i'll start with mother number one thai woman she was pregnant with me and couldn't raise me by herself mm-hmm. as a young woman in the capital city of thailand in bangkok and so she asked her sister to raise me and that's my, her sister's my aunt my second mom mm-hmm. who lived outside of bangkok about six hours by bus um, wow. And then her and her husband, my aunt and uncle, and they both
0: had leprosy. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yes. So I had always assumed that leprosy was a disease that had been eradicated. So tell me a little bit about leprosy, um, its symptoms, and what that meant for day-to-day life
1: in about 60 years ago, um, mm-hmm. Thailand had a, a leprosy breakout, okay. a huge breakout, and so the government round up all the people that had leprosy and placed them in one of the 13 colonies, and these mm-hmm. colonies were set aside, mostly in rural places, away from society because they were afraid that these people that had leprosy would infect the rest of of society. So they gated these leprosy villages. So my village was about 300 people. People had to get permission to come in and go out, cars, people. And it was locked at night, and the leprosy patients could not leave to go work outside of the village. Within each leprosy village, the first people that were there are the people that had leprosy. So Mm -hmm. I call them the first generation. Mm
0: -hmm. They're
1: the ones that had leprosy. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: And then these patients were brought out of their homes. They were pretty much just pulled from their families and friends Mm -hmm. to be placed in these different villages. Some had a choice to bring their families with them and others just didn't. And so... And then they had some children with them, and the children would be the second generation. Mm -hmm. And the the second generation, they don't have leprosy, but they were able to get out to work. Um, Mm -hmm. The government also give these leprosy patients land to farm in, to contain them within. And then also the third generation are the the children of the second generation. I would be considered a second generation because my aunt and uncle had leprosy, and Mm -hmm. I am their adopted child. Mm -hmm. But now there's a fourth generation as
0: well. Still in the case. Still
1: living Mm. in, correct. But because leprosy was treated and these patients were getting treatments and medication, they don't spread the leprosy, uh, the disease, to the second and third and fourth generation anymore. Okay. But the first generation um, are... They don't have leprosy, but the effect of leprosy on their bodies are still present. And a lot of them are very old now in their 70s and 80s and 90s. Right now, there are about 16, um, the original leprosy patients that are still living there.
0: 16 out of 300? Correct. Okay. Correct. So what can Correct. leprosy do to your body and what, what kind of state were your aunt and uncle in? Okay, so leprosy affects the nerves.
1: Uh, it damages the nerves and kills off all the, the nerves. So, what mm-hmm. I saw was let's see, a lot of aunties and uncles, and my aunt and uncle as well, that have had damage in their hands and feet, mm-hmm. toes, tear ducts are damaged. Um, so, pretty much, leprosy is a disease that damages the nerve ending so you cannot feel pain. Mm. So with that, a lot of these uh, patients that couldn't work outside of the village—they were doing rice farming. They were doing these physical labor within the village. They couldn't feel the physical labor that they had to to use to do the, the hard work. They couldn't
0: feel the damage, the physical damage from the work. It sounds like what you're saying is they didn't know when to stop. They didn't have the sensation That's to know correct. when they were damaging themselves.
1: That's correct. That's mm-hmm. right. And so mm-hmm. even though they were getting treatments, they couldn't feel the pain. And so they keep damaging their limbs, their bodies, their hands, their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part, it couldn't stop because once the nerve, the nerves have been damaged, you,
0: you just couldn't repair that. Okay. Would you see them suffering or were they not suffering because they didn't feel the pain? Okay. So my uncle,
1: I saw mm-hmm. his, pretty much they lost their fingers Uh, my uncle and then his feet so they had these special shoes that were made for him Mm -hmm. and there were times when he just we had we had fire that we built and we would be cooking or just to warm ourselves during the winter months and his fingers or hands or feet would be close to the fire sometimes just touching the fire and he just couldn't feel the pain and they would just be burning so we had to help him Mm -hmm. and that was very common And also Mm -hmm. with my aunt, she had a big sore on the bottom of her, one of her foot that wouldn't heal up
0: Mm.
1: and that was causing some limping. And eventually it was spreading up to her ankles and her knees. And after I came to America, they had to amputate one of her foot. And then she became handicapped and couldn't walk anymore at that Mm. point. And that Mm -hmm. was my personal experience with my aunt and uncle.
0: Mm. So, you know, you said that they rounded up citizens and sent them to these leprosy camps. Was it a realistic fear? When you don't know about something, you know, it seems scary. And Was there a treatment at that time? Yes, yes. Okay.
1: I don't know. Right now it was required by law. I, that's okay. one, one thing I never asked. In my, in my case, my aunt and uncle didn't have the education to help them understand what leprosy was. Mm-hmm. Um, Did they, they know what was happening to them and what it would happen and what it would do? I That question, I don't know, but I can only assume that they didn't know because my aunt went to second grade. Mm-hmm. Also, my uncle, the same. And then once they were told that they had leprosy, they just had to follow rules mm-hmm. to go where they were sent. And... Mm-hmm for family members. Some of them had family members that would come with them and others were shunned by their own family members because again, they were afraid because of of the unknown, the fear of the unknown, Mm a fear of um, getting infected by leprosy.
0: And were your aunt and uncle, did they contract leprosy when they were married or was it before and then they fell in love and got married in the camp? Do you know about that timing?
1: I do. So my aunt, her sister also had leprosy. They were two ladies that were 15 and 17-year-old year old that had leprosy. And so they both were sent to the village, and they, they decided to stay in the same village. And then my uncle was there first with a couple of other men that were there. Mm-hmm. And then they met those men, and they fell in love, and they got married, and they lived together in these government-subsidized mm-hmm. homes and started mm-hmm. their families there. But because of leprosy, my second mom, my aunt, couldn't have children of her own. Mm. And so she adopted me as well as my sister, who is 13 oh, years God. older than me.
0: Wow. So, yes. So when your, your, um, your aunt and uncle met in the camp, they fell in love, they got married, um, did their family – stay in touch with them. And what was the danger at the time? So what was the danger if their family came to visit them? What was the danger for you and your sister growing up in the camp in terms of contracting leprosy?
1: Okay. So we were not afraid. I did not remember ever being afraid of leprosy because that was something that we grew up with. We Mm -hmm. saw it day in and day out. So we weren't afraid of it because um, you either will get it or you won't depending on your immune system. And if we hadn't had leprosy in a few years, and we knew we weren't going to get it, that was one of those things that we just came to accept. And just oh, yes, and so the people that had really weak immune system would catch it, but a very very rare case of, of second and third generation would contract leprosy from their parents.
0: Really? Um, even, yes. even if so, did people give birth naturally? in oh, we, the leprosy yes. camps
1: yes and the, my aunt my other aunt my sister my
0: second mom's sister
1: she had seven children and they have no leprosy in the
0: leprosy them. camp
1: in the leprosy camp wow yes wow. and there are many cases like that and because the first generation are being treated so leprosy is not contagious anymore mm. um over the years these villages are being transformed into and transitioning into uh villages that are not leprosy villages anymore, mm. but the stigma is still there from other villagers around uh, the village. From Right.
0: So, yes. Yeah. So, talk to me about that a little bit. So, it was a gated community and you had to get permission to go out or come in. So, tell me, um, like, what would have been the difference? How easily would your aunt and uncle, who were first-generation um, leprosy patients, how easily would they be given permission to go in and out of the camp versus you, what kind of permission, you know, how strict was it for you? How easily were you able to navigate in and out of the camp for things like school and work and things like that?
1: Okay. So for children, we went to regular schools, um, outside close by to the village. Mm. Um, as for my aunt and uncle and the people that had leprosy, I actually don't know this very detail, but I will find out. Um, mm-hmm how they got in and out of the village. I just assumed they didn't.
0: They mostly know. just stayed in the village.
1: Right. But, you know, the thing is, I remember uh, a lot of times my uncle, he's a little bit of a rebel. He would get out of the village to go to the markets. and He would bring me along. And um, so in Thailand, there are these um, public transportation that are called Songtao tao, means um, two rows, uh-huh. and it's pretty much a pickup truck with... Seats built it on the back and with a little hooded top. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we were considered the outsiders Mm -hmm. because we had leprosy. We were from that village, and so and then in the Thai culture, the front seats by the driver were available for riding, but only for the prestigious people or the well-respected people or the people that had money, like Mm -hmm. people that were um lighter in skin tone were able to ride in the front or the people mm. that looked dressed well like they had money they can ride in the front away from the villagers from the back seats. or they were reserved for the monks who were highly respected okay. um beings or people
0: <laughs> okay and,
1: but okay. my uncle with his um no limbs, no hands, and just disabled looking eyes. You know, mm-hmm. he said, Nope, I'm gonna ride in the front because that's where I'm gonna ride in the front. Mm. And he would just drag me along and put me right there in the front seat with him. And I would just wide eyes, just Good shocked that him. my uncle would do something <sighs> like that. Good but looking back now, I'm so proud of him, yeah, just so. Wow, what, what courage, what strength for a yes. man, a handicapped looking man that I can say this, alien-like looking man that would scare everybody around him, would just stand up for himself and said, I am just as equal as you are. I'm just as yes. human as you are. I'm going to take these seats and you cannot remove me from it. Yes. So, yes. Where
0: do you think he derived that dignity from?
1: Actually, I don't know, Becky. He passed away right before I came to America, but I also always have had this. Um, respect and love for him. He was pretty Mm. much the only father figure that I've ever known. And he's just been this beautiful figure in my life who was just fearless, loving, kind, and nothing would stop him from doing what he wanted to do.
0: (laughs) That is amazing. That is amazing. Um, Do you know what you said a little bit earlier that really struck me? Um, Yes. you, you, You said we weren't allowed to sit here because we had leprosy. And I just find it interesting that you took that on as part of your identity that just as a community you were willing to say we had leprosy. Correct. you know what I mean you yes. didn't feel that you needed to distance yourself from that
1: right So we were all together in it you know and mm. even though we had the disease, the disease wasn't us as people mm. uh, we weren't leprosy Leprosy is is a nasty disease that we contracted but We all had it together, and all of us, we were family.
0: I feel like I would have been rushing to say, oh, oh, my aunt and uncle had leprosy, but I didn't. And you're Mm -hmm. just saying very freely, we had Mm -hmm. leprosy. Even though you didn't have that disease in your body, you are so willing to take that on as part of your identity. You see what I'm saying? I do. You know what I mean? And I I find that amazing, and I find that I I don't even know what word to use. It's awesome to me that you could find pride in something that so many other people would find just horrifying and fearful, and you find pride in being part of that community.
1: Yes. And Becky, honestly, I was mm -hmm. not always like that,
0: you know, Mm -hmm. because
1: we were being ridiculed and made fun of throughout Mm -hmm. throughout my childhood that's all I remember you know outside of the village Mm -hmm. at the markets on the buses on the Mm -hmm. public transportations at the school at Mm -hmm. any fun um outside events we were made fun of and I grew up thinking that we were inferior Mm -hmm. to all to everyone else in society Mm -hmm. and I grew up with that mindset for a long time until I became an adult, until I went back to Thailand to study abroad, Mm -hmm. to travel with Dr. K to realize that that was something that we did not choose to have. Why Mm -hmm. would I want to believe in that I was less of a human being than Mm -hmm. everyone else around me? And that wasn't always something that I embraced, but over the years, you know, I have grown a lot from my own experience, my own stories Mm. and I'm embracing all of it and we're all together, that's my story these Mm. were my people that Mm. I am going to embrace and love and
0: not be embarrassed of Mm. Mm. That's wonderful and there must be qualities about that community that you do very much admire and appreciate and take pride in Oh, yes, absolutely. So tell me about some of those qualities.
1: Oh, yes. They, they're they all survivors. We're all mm. fighters, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: Being in a smaller village, we also were together as a big family. Mm. We helped each other in hard times, in good times. And Thai people in general are happy and cheerful and still laughing despite hardship, despite hard things in life. And Mm -hmm. the people in my village were no different. They were human beings still with feelings, Mm -hmm. with emotions, with desires to have fun, to do all these fun things that we all want and need to do. And yes, we would celebrate life, weddings, fun events, and we would also mourn hard times together, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so we were just together as as humans who Mm. were labeled as the people with leprosy. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. What was it like for you to go to school outside the village?
1: It was hard. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, children are children, you know, and so they made fun of our parents all the time because they didn't understand. They they weren't educated about the disease and their parents didn't understand, so they weren't taught, you know, uh, how to... Be loving and kind and respectful mm-hmm. or they weren't educated and mm. we many of us got into fist fights, myself included <laughs>
0: standing <laughs> survivors <up. laughs> you were fighters Sorry, we were <laughs>
1: fighters and survivors you know standing up for our pride for ourselves for our families and friends you know mm-hmm. who had leprosy and when we were pushed too far we just just
0: Fist fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I have no problem with that, Suwani. Exactly. How did, no, I don't. How did your teachers and the administration react when those things happened? Did you feel supported, or did um, you feel cast out by them as well?
1: The teachers were mainly supportive. Um, okay. Yeah. So they were, they were good teachers. They were good from what I remembered about those teachers. It was just the, the children, you know, that didn't understand that. And so when we get in fights like that, physical fights, we all, we all sides get
0: punished and, you know,
1: get in trouble.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, um, you know, this is a podcast that's at least loosely. (laughs) related to food. food. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have any, um, food memories from the leprosy camp and particularly the two recipes, um, that you shared with me, the ramen and the dip are either of those related to the camp?
1: Oh yes. Um, so we didn't have a whole lot of money, you know, you know, we, we had the land, so we planted peppers and fruit trees and vegetables and all these um anything that was edible mm-hmm. um so we use those uh, ingredients in our cooking a lot um my my house or the government built for the house for us had a few mango trees mm-hmm. and mangoes can be eaten at all stages of their growth so mm-hmm. the green mangoes are especially a favorite amongst um us thais or okay. maybe children even you know because they were crunchy a little bit of sourness in there you made this spicy chili dip made from the chilies from your that you picked Uh from your your yard and just pound it up a little bit with a little bit of lime juice and sugar and you a little bit of dried shrimp if you had dried shrimp you just cut up the fresh green mango and just dip it in this extra extra spicy mango, uh, this <laughs> dip sauce and your mouth would just be burning but it was too good to stop so you just keep going and going until it's all gone you know so that was one of the fun memories from these mango man- mango trees and the fruit
0: so um did you eat the ramen when you were there like the ramen recipe that you gave me
1: the the ramen um
0: Packages, those were the special
1: treats because they were packaged and processed, okay. of course. But, you know, we didn't yeah. know anything about processed food then. It was just special because it was a little bit more expensive because it was in a, this beautiful package. And uh-huh. so when we, when our parents were feeling generous and gave us a little extra money, five baht, uh-huh. you know, which is a few cents. And then we yeah. would use that money to buy the packaged ramen. And there were seasonings in there. So we would either eat it plain without hot water,
0: yeah, uh-huh. or we
1: would just boil it with a lot of water to make it go a long way, and we would uh-huh. just
0: add whatever we had around the house into it. Yeah, so you had me add um, spinach, leeks, green onions, and hard-boiled eggs. Yes. Um, would all of those have been accessible in the community? Not the spinach, obviously, you know. Um, yeah, I was used...
1: wondering about that. <laughs> not the leeks either um but that was my uh, healthier version uh, (laughs) once I came to America you know to just make myself feel a little bit better that I had some greens in my soup um because back then we would put um boiled eggs we would put Cilantro, extra lime juice, and if you had any other types of meat, we would put them in there. Well, not shrimp, clearly, because we couldn't afford that. But yes, whatever we could add on to the dish to make it even more flavorful, we just we gather it all together and put it in that one big soupy ramen bowl. Mm,
0: okay. And did you have access to eggs?
1: We had eggs, yes. We had chickens that were running wild.
0: The oh. The original free-range
1: chicken was <laughs> invented by... <laughs> <laughs> Rural villages in Thailand. <laughs> Chickens and duck eggs. We had a lot oh. of duck
0: eggs, more so than chicken eggs. Actually. Okay. 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 You now you have mentioned a time that you that you were hungry. Um. Either sometimes or a lot of the time. I'm not sure which.
1: Yes. So we didn't have a whole lot of money. Um. Mm-hmm. Um. Receiving the money from the government at 1,500. We also had to pay for electricity for. Um, running water, which we eventually had a years later. So all of those expenses. Oh, so
0: you didn't even have running water when you were younger? No,
1: not until about, I was seven or eight years old. No yeah. electricity, no running water until that time. Okay. Yes. And so the the story was that my aunt and uncle both were, they were survivors and they would pretty much just very creative and, how, mm-hmm. and what and where to find food. And one of the um, fun memories that I always talk about with my Thai family is when they both would go look for dung beetle. <laughs> so this is... Um,
0: a dung beetle. Yes. Okay. Um,
1: so those would be found um, under dried cow or water buffalo poop dung pretty much dried up and we would flip the dung over and we would use our little shovel tool to dig through the dirt and we would grab the beetles and put them in a bucket filled with water so my job was to carry that (gasps) bottle wherever they went with this tasty bucket with water inside it so the to rehydrate them to not so they wouldn't crawl out or fly out
0: you drowned them well yes (laughs) i guess for
1: a beetle that's what we had to do to find food back here yeah 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 so yes and by the time we got home with a bucket full of those we would fry them in a wok with a little bit of salt and that was our meal Mm -hmm.
0: well I may be glad you didn't give me that (laughs) no, thank you.
1: I cannot do it now. I would yes, I would look back at them and be like, oh, these guys are drowning. I can't do it.
0: <laughs> Last question about the camp is, did you as a child, you know, you mentioned like your mom, mom had the sore that moved up from her feet to her leg to her knee. And you mentioned your dad would sometimes inadvertently get burned. Mm-hmm. Did you as a child? Um, it's a twofold question. Were you a caregiver? to your aunt and uncle, to your parents? And if you were, was that a burden and something that you resented? Um,
1: so the first part was I, a caregiver, My, I had an older sister who did majority of the caregiving for right. the family. I didn't do much of the caregiving in terms of the... Leprosy, but I did chores around the house that would be helpful for them. Okay, um, was it a burden? No, not at all. None of those things felt like a burden to me at that time because that's all we knew, and yeah, it was just a normal thing. Becky, we just didn't think any of that was a burden until <laughs> until we would go outside of the village until outsiders would tell us, let us know that we had something that they didn't have. That's when it was in our face, in terms of like, we are different. And also, I did not understand this until way later. A lot of these patients, the first-generation patients, um, they struggle with a lot of mental illnesses, the sadness, uh, the depression of dealing with leprosy because they were the the adults that had to deal with the constant reminder yeah. that they had something that society hated. Yeah. So there were some... Oh, alcoholism, violence, mm-hmm. um, gambling, addictions, so many of those issues. Um, but it was dealt with definitely in, in Thailand than it is in America, obviously.
0: Okay. In a um, better or worse, what does that mean? Worse way, I would say, in okay. my personal opinion. Um, okay. okay. Yes.
1: And so, yes, it was, it was hard seeing those things growing up. But again, we felt like that was just what everybody else was doing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, looking back now, I have understanding and sympathy for some of these hard things that the people struggle with mentally. Mm-hmm. Did you feel hope as a child? Did you feel you had a future? Let's see. For myself personally, I loved school. I loved reading. Mm-hmm. I was always the one getting in trouble for breaking into libraries <laughs> during the summer months to mm-hmm. read, read, read. And I felt like mm-hmm. I had opportunities. And I was able to read very well. And so I felt like I was really able to go further in in the education if I had the opportunity. But Mm -hmm. um, also in the village, that mindset of like, you don't need education to survive, you know? And so it wasn't Mm -hmm.
0: encouraged um, Mm -hmm. as much. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Was that in conflict for you then?
0: Like you kind of wanted... Okay.
1: Yes, um, I did well in school, and I um, so I wanted to go further. There was just something within me. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. Where I, I wanted to go further than just um, than just sixth grade level, the free education. Then after that, it was paid um, education that your parents have to come up okay. with, with the amount to pay for your education.
0: I see. So,
1: so this is maybe where the transition would be good. Where I met my third mom.
0: Yes. So was your second mother living when you met your third mom?
1: Yes. I met okay. my third mom when I was about nine or 10 years old. Okay. She, she is an American woman that came to work in a refugee camp in Thailand. She okay. wanted to meet other Christian leprosy doctors. So that was, she, she was a leprosy doctor? She was not. She was an occupational therapist. Okay. Uh, working in a refugee camp on a contract for a couple of years. Okay, but and just, wanted,
0: this was a refugee camp, not a not a, a camp. leprosy camp, correct? Okay. Was,
1: and so she was introduced to Dr. K, a very prominent leprosy doctor mm-hmm. um, in Thailand. And then Dr. K was traveling to all these thirteen villages, building churches, scholarships, nursery homes, and different things in these villages on her own, um, just to help. Um, ease the the pain and the discomfort of these leprosy patients and so mm-hmm. my third mom met her and traveled with her and they came to my village mm-hmm. um, when I was about nine or ten years old and me being half Caucasian half Thai I look entirely different than everyone in the village okay. so that stood out to my third mom she okay. asked Dr. K, "What is that American child doing here in this village?" Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. K started telling her my background, my story, and told her that I was being targeted by the government official who was to take care of the leprosy patients. In each of these colonies, there were government officials that were assigned by the government to take care of their of the patients. To administer uh, medicine income this monthly salary and these the one in my village took advantage of of his position and oh my was targeting many young young girls of these leprosy oh. patients because they mm. were so vulnerable and if they were the parents were to refuse then they wouldn't get their medication or the income so he knew oh of I his. I didn't know that Yes, of his position and me being half, I was the outsider of the uh, the village because I, I looked different. I was half white, half crook, you know, half Thai, mm-hmm. so I was super targeted. And Dr. K told my third mom, "You, if you are able, you need to do something to help this girl, or her life would just be in this man's." hand and it would not be a good situation Mm. and so with that information my third mom began the process of um getting to know me we connected and then over the last two three years of me being in thailand we connected and she became like a third mom to me and um then before her contract was up with the refugee camp she just couldn't leave me she was single woman at the time about age 29 30 and she just she just felt that she couldn't leave me so she wrote letters to hundreds of her friends back home asking if anyone would be willing to help me out by bringing me to America and all had offered to to help tutoring babysitting giving bicycles and watching daycare and things like that but none of them could commit to the level that she had wanted to so she decided to just do that herself and began the process of bringing me to America. And uh, yeah, the, the process went, went through and I came to America in 91 and here I am. So,
0: um, were you, were you aware that you were being targeted and were you aware that your third mother was considering adopting you? So the first question
1: was, I aware, absolutely. It's Something okay. just didn't feel right. Even as a okay. child, you know, you always yeah. sense something was just mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. And the twisted part of this whole thing was he would pitch himself as the father. Of you course, know, yes. Of course, mm. right? It's disgusting. And yeah, it is very disgusting. And mm. there were, he never mm. succeeded with me, but there were other younger women that mm. were, became his mistress, you know, mm. and... It was just a horrible situation, but I I can't explain it, Becky. I was, it had to be God that Mm -hmm. saved many times from being in that place by this man.
0: So you were aware that he was, that he was a threatening presence.
1: Yeah. He was evil.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That word absolutely applies. Mm -hmm. What, what about, um, were you aware? So it was like two or three years Um, that your third mom was getting to know you and getting more and more involved in your life. Were you aware that she was considering adopting you? And did you have a feeling on that? I I did.
1: I don't want to sound strange about that, but I don't know. There was something within me that, that knew as a child that I, I wanted to have a better life for myself. I wanted to have a better life for people around me. And when I met Rebecca, there was just such strong connection. And also because I was the only half white child within mm-hmm. the area. I don't know how long it is, how far from the village. But I was the only, they call me Farang, which is white foreigner. You know, I was the only Farang within the, um, the province or the city even. And when my third mom came to my village, I just felt like I was Connected to this person who, who's part, who's white, and I knew I was mm-hmm. part white, and I had mm-hmm. some kind of connection there that I didn't have with you know just being fully Thai. And her love for me was so genuine and pure that I, my aunt and uncle, trusted her completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had a feeling that this could be something, but I didn't want to hope either, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, But when she decided to go forward with bringing me to America, I just knew that, you know, that was the opportunity and the life that was given to me that I wouldn't have had otherwise in the village. And my uncle and aunt, they both knew that I would have had, um, I would have a better opportunity and better life um,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. somewhere else outside Mm -hmm. of the village.
0: Well, like any parent that places a child for adoption I personally believe um, sorry no. I'm speaking as an adoptive parent. Um, mm-hmm. I personally believe it's the act of love by the parent that places the child that is the greatest act of love. Mm. Yes. that is the person that's most like Jesus, person that chooses to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So I'm as a parent myself,
1: I just, like you said, selfless love, like Mm -hmm. that's the ultimate selflessness is to, to release them into a strange world, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, and so it was hard. My aunt cried and I never saw her cry like that ever before when we said goodbye one last time before I came to America, you know, Um, I just, and I'll always remember that, you know, about our last goodbye and um, yes, it was hard. Looking back now, I just uh, in awe of their strength to let mm. go.
0: I am too, yeah. And you must have had such mixed feelings at that moment, also.
1: Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. Mm. I um, I mm. was excited, Becky, to come to America to a new world to experience everything new. But at the same time, I was so heartbroken that I was leaving everyone and everything behind because I yeah. I came by myself you know, and I knew life was going to change forever. You know, um, there were just a lot of different emotions.
0: Um, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your transition to America and I guess the easiest way to do this, because that probably would take hours in and Mm -hmm. of itself. (laughs) Tell me, tell me about it in terms of really, um, (laughs) it's such a primal thing to be concerned about but in terms of the food did everything taste completely different and foreign and awful or how was that transition
1: okay well let me be blunt it was it was miserable it was awful (laughs) it was just tasteless you know and yes just comparing that spicy chili dip to cheese to you know these Mm. these dishes that had flavors that were not comparable to the Thai strong flavors. So I was mm-hmm. miserable, Becky. I was just okay. miserable with the American food at age 13. Okay. And I didn't know how to cook very well mm-hmm. yet, you know. And so my third mom would take me to Asian markets and just let me pick up whatever I wanted to pick out. And I just bought ingredients that didn't make any sense. And I just started playing with them, experimenting with them, uh, and just trying to remember these recipes by memory, Alone. Okay. And I just that's mm-hmm. how I learned how to cook. Um okay. and I pursued that even further in college to
0: escape studying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. And okay. so yes. yeah. So really um you didn't cook very much in Thailand, but you took the memories that you had of these foods. Correct. And learned how to make them when you came to the US. Yes. I so see. some
1: some may say that my Thai food is not exactly authentic because it's very self-taught and it's taught, you know, I taught myself in America, but, you know, I do the best I can with flavors. And each time I go back to Thailand, I learn as much as I, I, I can from my sister and the aunties in the village. And yes, I, I
0: love my Thai food for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so tell me a little bit about where, um, your, your husband's 18 years active military. Yes. So first of all, thank you very much because I, I know not firsthand, but from being with friends, what a sacrifice that is for the entire family. So thank you very much for that sacrifice. Oh, yes. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So tell me some of the places you've been and about the influences of those flavors on your cooking. Okay.
1: Well, let's start with our first assignment. Um, And my husband got his first assignment. I told him, I want to be in Asia as long as I can. It may Mm -hmm. not be in Thailand, but I want to be close to Thailand. And we were dating then. And so he... He asked for an assignment in Asia and he got Okinawa, Japan for our first assignment. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we went to Okinawa, Japan and got married there. We lived there for four years. So we were completely influenced by the Okinawan cuisine, which was incredible. And after Japan, we came... So can I
0: ask real quickly, how similar are Japanese and Thai foods? What's similar? What's different?
1: I personally think it is completely different. Mm Um. Thai food is known for the strong spices and the flavors, mm-hmm. whereas Japanese food is a is more uh, clean but tasty mm-hmm. and fresh, like the sushi. You know,
0: mm-hmm. it's Okinawa, minimal.
1: Minimal, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so completely mm-hmm. um, different from each other.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Okay, so from Okinawa.
1: From Okinawa, we have uh, got our second assignment to Spokane, Washington. Okay. Um and we lived here for three and a half years. And then after that, we went to St. Louis area for about three years. That's when I had my both my babies in mm-hmm. Illinois. And then after St. Louis, we were in Kansas <laughs> mm-hmm. for two years. A- after that, my husband was um he was tagged for a 365, meaning a one-year deployment away from the family. Mm-hmm. And I was with two babies in diapers in Kansas where I didn't know a whole lot of people, New area, knew everything. Mm-hmm. I said, Nope, I'm not staying here for a whole year by myself without my husband. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my mm-hmm. kids to Thailand and try to travel Asia. Mm. But then we found out that my husband was assigned to the Azores. It's a Portuguese Island in the middle of the Atlantic ocean. Mm-hmm. And so instead of living apart for a whole year, Mm-hmm. I decided to just take the kids to Portugal instead of Asia. Why mm-hmm. volunteer ourselves to be a part? If we could live in um, Portugal. So we lived on a little yes. island, Taserra mm. Island, um, mm. for a whole year, and the kids were about two and three. Oh, wow! And beautiful island, beautiful place, lovely people, uh, amazing food, and I fell in love with the place and. Mm. You know, since I don't know who my bi- biological father is, a huge part of me hope that I'm
0: part Portuguese. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it so much. You know, so oh. stay tuned on that one. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> what was the food like there?
1: Um, actually, very similar. Because um, Thai food was actually um, heavily influenced by, by the Portuguese explorers way back, oh. years, years back. Okay. and. Yeah, so I saw a lot of similarities with the peppers, with the, um, the tasty food, um, a lot of seafood, a lot of spices, different spices and um, herbs they used. Um, yes, I would like to get more into Portuguese cooking as well, just to <laughs> bring it all together, you know. It so, might be in your blood, you never know. <laughs> it might be in my blood, I'm hoping.
0: <laughs> okay, and then from there to where you are now. Um, I'm
1: back to uh, Spokane again, our second assignment back in the same home we bought years ago. And we are here and I started my food blog here. Yes, my Thai food blog with a little bit of international flavors here and there.
0: Yeah. So what would you say drives you and motivates you to photograph and blog about food?
1: Dig back into my history, my background. You know, I'm part Thai. I grew up in Thailand. Mm -hmm. I love Thai food. I know photography.
0: Yes, I love your <laughs> I love your food and your food photography. Oh, thank I'm you. intimidated by Thai food though. I I have to admit I haven't tried many of your recipes, but I think it's because I'm intimidated.
1: Yes, it is intimidating, something new and different. And the challenge with Thai cuisine too is a lot of these ingredients are very difficult to find in America. And I had to be mindful of my, my readers and my audience, what would be a good
0: substitute. Mm-hmm. So um, now you recently, very recently, went back to Thailand. I did. I went
1: back mm-hmm. in November for, mm-hmm. for four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big trip, a very special trip. I haven't been back in seven years.
0: Did you ever see your, your aunt and uncle after you left?
1: Um, my uncle passed away about a month before I came to America.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was the last time I saw him. And my aunt, um, she passed away seven years ago, and that was
0: okay.
1: the last time I was in Thailand.
0: Okay. It was when you were there.
1: When I was there, she passed away when we were there, and that was the last time I was. I, that was the last time I saw her, and the last time I was mm-hmm. in Thailand.
0: Now, had you seen her between when you left, when you were 13 and that time?
1: Yes, yes. Okay. My third mom took me back when I was in high school.
0: Okay. We went back
1: for a few weeks as well. Mm -hmm. Um, My high school teachers allowed me to do independent study with journaling and telling stories of my travels. So, I went back when I was 17. So, I saw her the first time after I was being in America.
0: Okay. And then also when you did the… Study, study abroad. abroad. Yeah, yes. Okay. And
1: also when, after I got married and we were stationed in Okinawa, Japan, I went back to Thailand several times. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to be closer to Asia because I knew my my
0: mom, my second mom was frail and old and I wanted to be closer to her. And then when she died seven years ago, you just didn't have as much of a reason to return?
1: Yes. And I was also grieving very heavily for that that part of my life
0: mm-hmm.
1: along with several other losses very closely together at that time i was mm-hmm. I was pretty uh traumatized
0: mm-hmm. and
1: just went through a lot of uh, difficult times
0: mm-hmm. in
1: dealing with with grief and so it was just hard and also then we had we had kids and that mm-hmm. you know how it is <laughs> it's just yeah. so, mm-hmm. so consuming yeah when you're, when they're smaller and Mm -hmm.
0: mm -hmm. it's almost like you can't have small children and grieve at the same time. Correct. So you almost just had to avoid Thailand completely.
1: Correct. That was Mm -hmm. the the easiest thing for me to do. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when you did go back, what was that like? well, Were you afraid to go back a little bit? Oh, yes.
1: I was a Mm -hmm. nervous wreck back here.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) I was, Mm -hmm. you know, all these Mm -hmm. built-up emotions and thoughts about how it used to be. Seven years is a long time to be away. And Mm -hmm. I feel like Thailand is a very fast-growing country. And and I was still in touch with my nieces. Mm -hmm. And so they would tell me about all
0: these big changes. Are there still leper colonies in Thailand?
1: Yes, they are. But the gates and the fences were all taken down. No Mm. doors, no gates, nothing anymore because they're being transitioned out now.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, yeah, so when I went back, I just, I was nervous about so many things, but it ended up being one of the best, probably the best trip I've ever had in Thailand. Mm. My kids, it was their first time, so I was able to introduce them to the culture and the family, and and it was Mm. just just full circle for me to see Mm. my kids playing with these children that were fourth generation leprosy kids. And also my Mm. niece was getting married. And so that was
0: all the big reasons to go back for. Perfect. Do you feel like that opened a door that you would go back more frequently? I mean, life is still life, right? It's right.
1: Yes. I would, I, I don't ever want to be away for that long ever again, it's it's part of me. It's my root, is my history, is my background, and those are my people. Those mm. are the the uh, my story, you know, that's that's mm-hmm. where I grew up. That's my origin. I don't ever want to forget it. And I want mm. to keep going back and staying connected, you know, provide help wherever the needs are and giving wherever I can and with mm-hmm. f- for those people, for my people. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think a lot of people are going to want to know more about you. A lot of people are <laughs> definitely going to want to learn Thai cooking from you. Oh, my goodness. So can you tell me all the ways that people can follow you, contact you?
1: Yes. My website, you can find me at simplysuwanee.com And my name is S-U-W-A-N-E-E. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook.
0: Yes, and if anybody's struggling or don't know, if you're in the car driving and don't have anything to write on, I'm going to have lots of links to all of um, all of the ways you can access Suwani just on the storiedrecipe.com website. Do you have anything else you want to share? People
1: may be curious about my name because I get that uh, asked a lot. Tell me okay. about it. Okay, so my name, my Thai name is Suwani. It's actually a formal name. Uh-huh. And... Thai people have nicknames and my nickname is Bun or Apple and Uh my formal name is Suwani and these two names were given to me by my birth mom when she gave birth to me and knew that she was going to give me up she said I want two things from this I want her nickname to be Apple because Mm -hmm. um, apples in Thailand are The considered foreign fruit, and I'm half Thai, uh, half Thai, half white, and so they, she said, she's she's the apple, (laughs) and I want her formal name to be Suwani, which means gold.
0: I want her to remember who she is, Mm. and how much she valued you. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time and your stories and honoring all the people in your stories that deserve so much honor.
1: Yes. Thank you so
0: much, Becky,
1: for this opportunity.
0: Mm, it's been a pleasure. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks again to Sawani. You can find all of her contact information on the show notes for this episode, episode seventy-two, at the dot Next week we have an interview with Rachel Pie Jones, who grew up in a small insulated, um church community in the Midwest. And then 20 years ago, she moved with her husband to Somali, where one harrowing night, she was forced to flee to Djibouti, a neighboring country. Since then, for the last 19 years, she has made her home in Djibouti. And beyond learning how to thrive, in the punishing heat and without the Western conveniences that most of us listening to this expect, Rachel has spent the last two decades questioning really everything she was taught or believed. Rachel is a prolific author of articles and books about cross-cultural living, the topics of, well, the interrelated topics of helping, hurting, and humility, uh, religion, And the true meaning of community. Rachel and I explore all of this through the lens of food, of course, in next week's episode. So you will want to tune into this. I would encourage you to subscribe right now if you've never subscribed to the podcast. In the meantime, would you please think right now of someone who would really appreciate this episode with Suwani? And would you forward the link to this episode to them? That is truly the biggest way you can help the podcast grow. And finally, before signing off, I do want to read two reviews and remind you that you can easily leave a review. Even if you're not sure how to do it on your device or platform, you can easily leave a review simply by going to lovethepodcast.com forward slash thestoriedrecipe.com. So that's lovethepodcast.com forward slash thestoriedrecipe, and they will make it super easy for you. They will figure out how you can leave a review on your device and on your platform. I do want to read two recent reviews and thank Lauren for this first one. Becky is such a thoughtful, inclusive soul. She brings out the best in her guests, entertaining and often more challenging and thought provoking than I imagined. The story recipe is really a must for anyone who loves food and the why behind it. Thank you for Lauren. And you can always tune into her episode about home and you can find that on the I'm not sure who to thank for this, but the signature is capital E C H O I T. So, whoever that is, thank you for this one that I'm about to read right now. It says, food is such a reflection of our heart and culture. I think we sometimes forget that. This episode puts it all forth in spades. Sit back and learn about culture, family, and values all through the lens of the tradition of making roti chennai. The vulnerability in this episode is heartwarming. So yes, you can leave a review just on one episode. And if you want to listen to that one, um, you can also find it on storiedrecipe.com You can just search for Roti Canai, R-O-T-I-C-A-N-A-I. Uh, thank you and have a great week, my friends.